All right, so welcome to episode four. I am so excited to welcome Lorianne Glassford, one of my oldest friends. Careful. Oh, no, oldest <laughs> years, both of us. Um, Lorianne and I worked, I was her head cashier at Club Monaco in the Eaton Center another lifetime ago. And somehow we just always stayed in touch because, you know, it was just meant to be. And here we are. Um, so I'm so excited to bring you on. I'm excited um, to be here. So um, I wanted to have you on because I feel like you have so much wealth of knowledge. Um, I don't want to do your bio. I want you to do it because I won't do it justice. But um, the wealth of knowledge you have in the commercial real estate um, sphere is just overwhelming. And I really wanted to share that and dig into that with you. So sure. um, you did, I know that you worked your way up from store manager in Club Monaco to mm-hmm. head up um, all of the um, store development, whether it was leases or, you know, build or whatever. So I'll let you do that. And then you went okay. on to do a lot of amazing things. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. First of all, I'm so glad to be here. I'm, I'm excited that you're doing this because I think people need to hear more of what you have to say. And so I can't wait to see who your guests are. So thank, thank you, you for that. Me um, too, by the way. I can't either. Right? <laughs> okay. We're not even going to get to the podcast, are we? I know. Um, so I, I guess it's important to know that, you know, I always started in retail. I mean, when I was 16, I lied about my age and put on really high heels to get into a ladies' clothing store just to work retail. retail I don't know what it was, but I needed to work retail. We're going to age ourselves. We're going to date ourselves now. But and what was that clothing store called? Oh, at that time. Oh, I'm thinking of Jacobs. No, no, this was way before. before, So, um, you know, when I was young, I always really wanted to work uh, with fashion and in retail. So I did that in a small town named called Chatham, where I grew up. And I would skip it of high school and work there on nights. No, and I then, know why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, you know, then, you know, life took over. I went to university. I decided that wasn't for me. Dropped out. No kidding. Not even finishing first year saying, I need to get into retail. And everyone around me told me, that's not a career. Stick with school. And I knew in my bones that was just not going to be the case for me. So I hopped on a train and left Wilfrid Laurier two weeks before my first year exams. No one really loved that. Um, And I went to Toronto and I looked for a job. And I found a job at what was then the place to work, which was Fairweather. In the Daniel Hester boutique oh at the God, Eaton Daniel Center. Hesher, oh remember my God, the T-shirts? Yes, yes. And we lost everybody under we, forty. Of course, of course. <laughs> See, like, come on back, come on back. You know, it, it, it will resonate eventually with you. And um, what what happened though is, you know, you have the basics of retail, and then there is a point where you can see a future and you want to impact a brand. So I left. That brand, I did a few other brands. Um, Joey Basmati was was launching Jacob. They needed someone to do that. I worked, launched their locations for a while. But where we met in Club Monaco, which was I joined there in August of 1991. Okay. A little bit of a throwback. At the Eaton Center, right? Had the restaurant upstairs. <gasps> Right, ten o'clock. You could smell the the magazines oh, in the front. So wonderful. It was gorgeous. Yeah, it, it was, was beautiful, gorgeous. and it was retailing. Like it was, it was really good retail. And I remember, you know, you ha- having to work working in the the stores with the customers, with the stock, with the shipping and receiving, with the merchandisers. There's like nothing else. There's nothing else. They it can is teach so. You. 
it teaches you everything. So when I got into, eventually got into store development, um, uh, facility management, all of that, still with the Club Monaco brand, um, prior to it being purchased by Polo in the early 2000s, and made my way up through manager, and then you have a few locations, supervisor, and then, mm-hmm. then you move into the office. And then I remember saying to my superior at the time, we're opening stores, but I could do that. Like, I know there's no role for this, but I didn't why know don't that. we create a role? Oh, so and smart. she was like, well, like what? And I said, well, I'll go to a new city and I'll work with HR and hiring and we'll work with the merchandisers for merchandising and we'll work with visual for presentation. And, so you pulled it all together. And so we, right. right. And so I became what we, what we named a store opening coordinator at the time. And so that gave me that whole new location, new city. Okay. That took me into store development and store planning. Mm-hmm. So then we started working with, I started working with uh, Bertie Felix and and the design team that we had on, on, and I learned a lot and that's how I cut my teeth. And that was the beginning for me of getting into commercial real estate because after store development, then I got into actual, the actual leasing. So it was a, it was a, a path, but you know, 16 years with Club Monaco, that's where I cut my teeth. Let's, let's, oh, yeah. let's be clear, right? I did everything. So today, fast forward today, if I was to work with a retailer or food and beverage operator and I'm doing a lease, right. I always think of the operator first. Right. Always. I'm not tenant friendly. I'm guest experience friendly. Interesting. So a landlord might say, LA, I mean, God, you're, you're being really favorable to the tenant. I'm not being favorable to the tenant. I'm only thinking of the guest. And with both parties think only of the guest, like you do, when you think of your homeowner, when you put them just first, thinking that. right? Right. I'm then not buying it will four work. walls for them. Exactly. Right. But if you're only thinking of the numbers or, or the, the square footage square cost, footage or, cost exactly. or what's the brand I'm putting in here, no, it just doesn't work. So it was a... Long and winding road, but at the end, uh, after Club Monaco, I I did a few more stints in fashion, um, opened up the New York office for Club Monaco uh, during 9-11, actually, and um, then came back to Canada and launched Wind Mobile. Oh, my God. I forgot about yeah. that. Oh my god, that's actually another podcast. Lorian yeah. was in New York on 9/11. Yeah. We we could do another podcast. Yeah, that's on that. another I, podcast. It's why it's still that. one of my favorite yeah. cities in the world and the people. Um but you know, I've never worked at a startup before and telecommunications was not sexy. I mean, you were not that folding was not a beautiful sexy brand. No, no. But I again had never been in a startup. So I had all of that experience and within uh two years, we launched 200 and some locations. It's a lot of leasing. Did you do the same thing for them? Yep. Okay. So what made you stick with, so you have this, and and I feel like our paths are very similar in a sense, like we took, we grew up at Club Monaco. Yeah. It was, I really feel like everybody who was there at that time almost has like a kismet, like we'll all be connected somehow forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we all took that one thing that we loved out of that experience. And and for me, it was, it was the client relationship. I really, and the brand building. Me too. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I I mean, kudos to Joe Mimran from, from a standpoint of how he knows how to build a brand and a true retailer. There's no question. 
And so for me, I took it and, and you know, transpired into this real estate career. With you, you took that that customer experience, but on a real estate level, but on the commercial aspect of it. Right. Okay. So I jumped. So when I, after um, after I had done this stint in telecommunications, um, food and beverage called me. Right. And I'd never worked in hospitality. I'd worked in the it's very different when I was young. And so I I never worked in the hospitality. I was able very to skip different. that. Yeah. And so um, I worked with a brand who said, okay, if you're going to head up our real estate and development, which I did mm-hmm. for all six of their restaurant brands at the time, right. they said, we need you in the kitchen. I loved that. Get back to the operator. It always comes back to the operator, right? right? The homeowner, the operator. And so I worked in the kitchen for about a month and learned everything. What did you? No, I'm I, like, well, there was so up. much. What did you do? Like, well, did you well, actually all, show up for a shift and oh put my, your apron I still on? Have and my, like, sous I chef still and have cut. my white jacket, lo- my white chef coat that. that has my name on it. Yeah. And I learned a new appreciation for those folks in the kitchen. Yeah. The best. Full, full. What do they call it? The back stop. room or the back? Back of house. Back of house, yeah. Full stop. So my experience as an operator was always managing the fine line between back of house and front of house. And I needed to learn that because if I'm going to do your store development and your commercial real estate, I need to know how much it's going to cost to build one of these, right? So So went into food and beverage, really understood how to lay out a restaurant, how to build a restaurant. Um, the cost of the commercial cost of kitchen equipment is is absolutely insane. Um, just the training and the the safety and the f- the food safety and everything else. And then let alone the equipment. Let alone the equipment. Let alone the equipment. I mean, we all know how expensive pots and pans are. Never mind. It's I mean, crazy. The, yeah, it is. It's actually crazy. And then from there, um, a global developer and landlord called me to head up their food and beverage leasing at the time, right? Looking for experience. So it's all back to the guest. Like always, always, always guest experience. As suspected, I haven't even asked my first question because we decided we weren't even going to get that. I actually have, for anybody who's listening to audio, I have my my questions right now because Laurie and I could talk for like days. So, um, and it's so interesting. I didn't even think as you're talking how many similarities there are in that experience. Because when you think about it, I mean, I've had people who will say, you know, will hire me to, let's say, look for a home or sell a home for them. And, you know, they say, I had always thought about getting into real estate. Like, I always thought it sounded fun, right? Like, I always wanted to be a real estate agent. And they realized how much back-end work there was. And it wasn't just about opening doors. I mean, I'm sure there are some that just do that. Don't get me sure, wrong. Sure, sure. But there's so much back-end that they didn't realize that 90% of my day is dealing with, you know, fires. Oh. Because it is so complicated. So it's not it just, is. you know, when I think about commercial real estate, I'm like, okay, so you're going to work for this restaurant a, a company and you're going to find great space and you're going to hire your contractors and, you know, that's it. And it's like cut and paste and move on. And there's so much involved with both sides. And that customer experience, right, is so important because when you think about going to a restaurant, entrances, parking, all Everything. of Everything. If you're a developer, if you're a landlord uh, – the guest, if the guest experience isn't your number one sieve that your decision makings go go through, then you've lost. You, you shouldn't be not, in business. You shouldn't be in yeah. business because it's not always about numbers. We talked about you know what are the differences or what are the similarities about the two you know residential versus commercial, and guest experience, home ownership. But at the end of the day, that's your home. 
So your the residential, while it looks after your home, you need a place to live. Do we need a place to shop? Okay, we don't really need a place to shop, but we, we would like a place to shop. We want to go out to eat and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, I think of the property management fees of a landlord, and then I think of the condo fees for the residential. So right. there are vi- there are so, so many, there's the utilities, the utilities. What are you going to cover? What are you not going to cover? When you start doing a restaurant deal, the deals are very complicated. Yeah, because when we're looking at properties for, you know, the value of a home is put on, um, you know, requirements, whether it's, you know, towards transit or if it's big enough for your family or, you know, it doesn't, it comes down to budget. But I remember when I thought about getting into real estate, um, and we had a friend who was in commercial real estate, and I kind of, I mean, I had a corporate background, so I thought, you know, I, I can do the corporate yeah. thing also. And and the way that he described it to me, and this was just jury of one, but was a much colder experience. So it's interesting to hear from you. It was very much this like, you know, cost per square footage and, and delivering on what their bottom line was. And I thought, that's not for me. And I thought, you know what, I love, and, I, and, and I've said it before, and I try, I, I I feel like it comes out cheesy, but it's not in the sense that when I find a place for my clients, I'm I'm helping them and there's a like a in their lives, like in, in their their family to to goals. You got I, a I don't vested even put interest. It. I I have a vested interest. Yeah. Like when they win in a in a right. bidding war, like I'm jumping up and down when we've been on the market for 30 days and they're just like I'm dr- I'm not sleeping well at night. I'm feeling what they're feeling. And I didn't feel, and it's so interesting to hear from you, that the commercial would just be very much more of a transaction. And I learned a long time ago, and you know this about me also, I'm not a transactional person. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I want, like I meet a client and the next thing you know, I am meeting the sisters and I'm being invited right. for Christmas dinner. And and that's how much I care. Yeah. Um, and so to know that, you know, did you see... So we've talked about this, and I'm going to skip a little ahead. But, you know, I've also heard that the commercial, um, no names named, that the commercial space is a bit of an old boys club. There's no bit. Yeah, you talk about, you know, you just talked about being, you know, your assumption was it sounded a bit cold, a bit transactional. Um, You know, I'm not here to... And I don't know what I... Like, this was just my perception. But you're absolutely correct. And I think that was my friction within corporate because I am not a transactional person. I am a relationship builder by heart. I am a connector and a relationship builder. I will know you throughout the life cycle of your brand. I don't just sign it and it's gone. And that's why we, you and I are very similar that way. Right. And so, um, no, I think, you know, when commercial real estate first took off in the 70s, you had some some men with money that got together. They built REITs. You had pension funds coming into it. So in the early 80s, you know, there were, it was everything. Malls started to pop up. You can still see certain malls. Um, and what happened was it was based on relationships. But there were not a lot of women, not other than secretaries at the time, which are, you know, now have very important roles in the administration, but the fact remains that it is still very much um, boomer and generation X m- men 
at the top of these pension funds and REITs that are making the big decisions. You're going to see a few women in C-levels and executive vice presidents and vice presidents. I was one, but one of very, very few. Where you're going to see a lot of women is in the brokerage end which is exciting to me. So the commercial real estate brokerage. The commercial real estate brokerage. Regency. Vanessa is amazing at what she does over there. And there are some some women-owned and women-led broker businesses. And that makes sense to me too, because the relationship, you're Mm -hmm. trying to bring the tenant and the landlord together or the developer. So that, you know, there's a niche there. But I think what has happened since 1980s to now The pendulum has just swung. It used to be all about relationships, who you knew. You want to get your brand into, I don't know, Sherway, Metropolis, wherever. You need to know who to call. Then you need to know who to call, and they need to like you. To take your call. To take your call. And so now what is happening is, and, you know, there's a lot of people that's going to disagree with me, but that's... That's why we're here. (laughs) One, it is now in the last, I would say, 10 years, it has become much more about an asset management numbers game. It is less about the handshake, the relationship, and so on. It is, what's the NER? What's the net effective rate? What's this? What's that? What's the grok? Right. This is our budget. Sorry, it doesn't make budget. When at the end of the day, the special exceptions will always be made for tenants who have a really unique point of differentiation or are first to market. So not really fair. Not really fair to a lot of the um, businesses who are trying to get their feet in the door. So what do I say to businesses? I say, know your point of differentiation. To sell yourself. To sell yourself. Because if you know, if you want to be in that mall, why why should they carve out a space just for you? So I think what people also don't realize is the cost of being in a mall and all the things that are involved in it. Like I remember learning. So let's, so yes, differentiation, let's say is, you know, cost per square foot. I mean, it is astronomical to be able to get into Yorkdale. I mean, but I've also heard that you have a space and it's a moneymaker, right? So you spend it, you make it in Yorkdale as an example. Um... But on the other hand, all the requirements that are like you have to be like you the the days of the mom and pop independence being in these malls are over, right? They are because over. they can't afford it. Yeah. You have to what was the last? It was like you have to renovate your store every seven years of something like that. So now you have to it has to hit brand requirements. Well, where's that capital coming from? Right. Where is that capital coming from? Because just to just to build a kitchen is four hundred dollars a square foot. Just to build a kitchen. You have to build everything and then you have to, then your storefront. What if it's multi-level? Right. And so, you know, the cost of building, that's what it comes down to really in the commercial real estate deals is the Schedule C. Because yes, it's rent, but that will be offset by the cost. The Schedule C is the landlord's and tenant work. That's what it is. And so landlord, tenant work, what am I given? What am I taking? It's like if Schedule A. It is. It's re- like Schedule A. Yeah. So if I'm going to give you a clean shell that's beautiful and the HVAC and the and the mechanical, electrical and plumbing are beautiful and they're right. everything's state of the art, I'm going to give you a lot less in tenant allowance to build your store or I might charge you a lot more in rent if I'm going to give you. So there's a lot Interesting. of- 
So the capital can come from the landlord? The capital can come from the landlord. But big guys like Yorkdale aren't doing that. So They don't have to. It it, Tenant allowance itself, rent, percentage rent on top of base rent. Which is? So you've got your rent, which is say, let's say it's $300 a foot. And then you've got a percentage rent that says, you know, if we think you're going to do 10 million. Right. Whatever yes. you do over $10 million, we want a cutoff. We want a cutoff, right? So there is base rent. There is percentage rent. The There is the whole utilities package and property management fees that go into it. Right. And that's before you've even decided how much it's going to cost to build that location. So here's what I think has changed over COVID in that pricing right. is um, a lot has changed. But if I if we just look at this how to do the deal is that the days of dollar per square foot percentage rent a little bit from the landlord build it we need to think more partnership both people putting money up front Mm -hmm. both of us winning on the back end Mm -hmm. right it can't just be you got to pay me back in two years well then that's just not going to happen. It takes, even as a restaurant, you need at least two or three years just to get your, yourself off the ground. So we that's have- that's a chain restaurant. It, that, right. Like, like when so, you think about the independence, I mean, I think that that's why like people are like, why is there a subway on every corner, right? Or why is Popeye's opening or whatever? It's because right. who, like uh, the small independents- somebody have, has said, we need this dollar per square foot out of that corner, go fill it. Rather than go find me the best tenant for our community. But that's what I'm saying. The community. We talked about that when we were talking about doing this podcast was you said they talk about community. They talk about how, I mean, and I remember there was talk of, there was a generation of talk like this space, we want to have our block. So one guy would own one block, you know, on the Danforth, let's say, and they would say, okay, we want to have a restaurant. We want to have a dentist office. We want to have a medical office. We want to have a clothing store, whatever. And now it's just like, no, you know what? I want to make the most I can. And now we have Subway on, sorry, no offense to Subway, but like I'm like, I can't handle it. And that is... You know, and even I've heard people say, like, in Yorkdale, it's like, well, okay, well, now all we have is, like, Gucci and Louis Vuitton and Nordstrom's. And I'm like, well, who can afford to be in there? Yorkdale, when I was growing up, there was tons of independence. And we've seen, like, what I think think is really important. (laughs) If you close your eyes and you walk into a mall and you open your eyes... You're in the same You're in place. the same place. So back to differentiation. So brands out there, if you want to get in with developers on their new developments, or you want to get in podium retail under condos, or you want to get into malls or street front locations, figure out what your point of differentiation is. Right. Figure out what you do better than anyone else. And if you're doing too many things, stop it. Dial it back. Figure out what you do really well and just focus on that. That's that's the story. And the better you can tell your story, the easier it's going to be. So U.S. Canada. So yeah. we talked about, you know, all the headlines that we see and everyone kind of feels like if it happens in the U.S., it ha- it's going to happen in Canada. Right. And, you know, I think it's almost like Canada and the rest of Canada and Quebec. I think it's so different. Different yeah. beasts, different. Yes, there's similarities. Yes, they say, you know, if... 
if the U.S. has the flu, we catch a cold and all of that stuff. But I don't think it's always the same. Um, knowing that you had the experience of, of working commercial real estate in Canada versus the U.S., what would you say is like the main differentiation? Like, is it more structural? Is it, you know, um, the way that they price things? The you way know, they approach I think things? the main thing, so two things. So in the 90s, I was, and 2000s, um, early I was doing, remember Caban? Mm -hmm. For all of you who don't remember, it was the home end of Club Monaco. Yeah. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. It oh, didn't it get to around. open in the U.S. We had several U.S. locations. So my first exposure to the U.S. Uh, working alongside um, the team at Polo was disposing of that real estate. And, right. you know, we had, we had to close everything before we opened it. Um, and so... You know, I had been doing commercial real estate on the retail end long before I went into corporate real estate on the food and beverage or landlord side. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is the biggest difference, again, I'm just going to put it out there, The and this is my lived experience, the U.S. values retail as a career and as a business hmm. much more than it is valued as a career or as a business here in Canada. Do you think that just the volume? I like don't the density, know. The... I don't know what it is. But what, what you get there, let's say you're opening up in Dallas. Okay. Or you want to open up in Chicago. Okay. Um, you know, you have to, you can't just go in there thinking, this is my brand. I'm the best. You have to really understand the city. Understand the city. Spend time in the city. Where does your guest experience mar their guest experience? Right. And just and find your, your sweet spot. Once you find your sweet spot, here's what I find the other differences in the U.S. They're willing more to partner up front as landlords. They're willing to go, you know what? We're going to get into business with you. So they're going to supply a little more capital up front, okay. right? To really, to re and then they take more on the back end. But this is really helping people start up and get, get this the locations right. that they want. Capitalism versus socialism. It, you know, I, I mean, I also feel like I always remember like, you know, you could go to Florida and they would have like, you know, the Club Monaco in the mall and then across the street there'd be the there'd be the outlet and you would never understand how they could possibly like both be very successful right across the street right. because of how many people there were. The density itself right. and, the and the density competition. and the competition, the density of malls. I mean, you just look at the, it's why they were hit so bad at the financial crisis, right? Because right. you look, and COVID, you look at the number of malls um, some of these developers had versus the number of malls we have in Canada. It's it's very different. It's very different. We just don't have as many. Right. So when you, so interesting point. So you say they, they did more time, you know, let's say we're going to open up a place in Dallas and we're going to spend our time there. You know, did you find the same thing when you were opening up stores for Club Monaco? Like, did you go into Edmonton and say, I mean, because there's only really, like, you had to, there's one mall, right? So yeah. it's like, were you really doing that, you know, yeah. so we, okay, so marketing here's the, and making right, so sure that Club Monaco is going to make sense in Edmonton, right? right? So let's say Edmonton Mall, right? When we did the Club Monaco, phase three, and we also had a phase one, I think, at one point. But yeah. um, so instead of when I was looking at New York and where to go, or California and where to go, or Florida or Miami, it was inside the mall where we have to best position ourselves. Oh. So now that we've known that the mall gives our best right. guest experience, right. where in the mall do our guests need us to be? Mm -hmm. Now, you can offer us phase one at $40 a square foot, mm -hmm. or you can offer us phase three at $150 a square foot. I'm going to take the offer of phase three all day long because I, I can... I can 
address that customer's needs, that customer wants us. We can make sure that we have the right selection, the right staffing levels. It's just the city within the city. It, it, there are so many similarities in the way that you look after the search, I guess. Similar to, you know, it's it's uh, when looking at a client's house. I also say like, you know, I have clients who are coming in and they're like, well, you know, the interest rates are really high or they're not, or should is that house really worth, you know, the $20,000 more or the square footage or that type of thing? And, and it, does it come down to, does this make sense for your family to stay here a long time? Because at $140 a square foot, if you're there for the long haul, you're better off to pay a little bit more and get the better positioning or pay the $20,000 more because you're in the better school district. And you know what? You'll worry about that when you retire. And that experience for your family is much more important than saving that $20,000 and saying, yeah, this is it not is, the right place. It is more important. And very similarly, as you're, as you're speaking, I can see this. Your pipeline strategy might be, I want to open 10 locations next year. Your capital budget is based on maybe spending $1.2 million each location. Mm -hmm. But what if you get that piece de resistance location that you've always wanted? You have to be able to pivot and go, okay, that location is going to cost me $4 million to build, but that's going to be my flagship and I'm not going to open up 10 locations in all these different... I'm now going to really focus on this. Well, like Restoration Hardware in New York Dale, which I can't wrap my head around, sorry. but it's... However, we have dined there several yes, times. <laughs> we do enjoy the yes. lunch there. Yes. But no, it's a, a perfect example to me. You know, they don't have a million locations, but they, you know, did this massive well, Sometimes it's just about the brand. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. just about the brand. I need my face in a particular mall, in a particular city. I might not be making as much, yeah. but what I'm going to make off my brand recognition huge. is huge. Huge. Yeah. Um, craziest story you can think about. If you have one, like I feel like I always, I, al I mean, I have, so I could write a book. I mean, as I was sharing a story with you this morning about a buyer's visit that I had, I, because I deal with, personalities and and personal feelings and 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 also a lot of really old homes in Toronto. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, but um same in the commercial space. I mean, I guess maybe not cuz you're not, you know, again, it's a more business transaction. It is. It is more business transaction, but with the moment you said what is your craziest story, I didn't think of real estate. Okay. Um I thought the most craziest story, but also the most unique, is the fact that we're actually sitting here. <laughs> that I knew a woman at 17 years old who um, was struggling to find her space in the world, but she had a spark and an ambition, and 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 she found she found the people and surrounded herself with them. She found her partner in life, her ride or die, mm -hmm. who drove you, and then you created your beautiful family. In what universe would we be sitting here had relationship building not been important to you, had relationship not been important to me, connecting with people, and how about living your authentic self? Because sometimes you just have to you just have to do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is just picking up the phone. Mm -hmm. So I would say to anyone listening outside real estate, if 
If there's someone that pops into your mind now and then, like that guy you used to work you work at at the ice cream stand when you were 12, or that woman that helped you or gave you that incentive to work harder or gave you that promotion, pick up the phone, write a text, write an email. There's a lot of ways you can reach out you right could be now. Doing, or you could do a podcast together. Or you could together. do a podcast <laughs> together. But to me, that's the way, that to me is the craziest story, but it's it, because it, it ties us back together. Who knew the past that we were going to go Crazy, on? Crazy, right? Right? Crazy. But when we're talking here, there are so many similarities, but it's based on following what we knew we were really good at and how we could change the lives of people. I don't want that to sound more altruistic as, than it is, but it is actual fact. When you care about a homeowner or a guest, you you really can't make a mistake. And you can't, um, yeah, you can't make a mistake. And, uh, you know, that old adage of like, if you love what you do, it's not, there's you don't work a day in your life or something of that effect. But I really do, um, you know, I was talking to a friend who's kind of like trying to figure it out and what they want to do next. And, and I said, if you don't do what you love, I said, like, I have bad days. I have bad weeks. I have bad months. Like, you have a deal gone wrong. You know, there's all sorts of bumps in the road. You're really going to hate your life if you don't love what you do. And I still get up with tons of ambition and love in my heart. So I want to get back to the office. I want to fix it. I want to find a solution. I want to keep my calm and just go, I know it's going to work out because I'm not chasing a dollar. No, I'm not you have chasing... a vested interest in the livelihood of your clients. It's the I same do. thing. I coach women. And as the soon uh, as I get me off to the... it. I was going to say, yes, tell us I... what you're doing now. Well, as soon as I get off the phone with one of my coaching exercises, I spend the next several days going, how am I... Oh my God, we have to go do this. I'm going to find this for her. I, I, you, I, you just want to help. And so, yeah, so now I'm working on a few things. So I left the, I was restructured out of my role in corporate real estate um, during COVID and thought, what do I want to do? What a gift. It was, yeah, at the moment I was crushed. I was brought down at the knees, but I look back and I think it was the biggest gift I was ever given. It was an opportunity to finally, finally step into my voice and step into helping women. So um, I have created a coaching program for executive women. I am not a life coach. I am a career coach. I want to make that Huge very, difference. it is a very Huge big difference. difference. Yeah. Um, if someone needs a li- uh, life coaching, I have a plethora of women that I have vetted. And, um, and then I've also um, launched Unlocking Her. And Unlocking Her is a place for women um, I'm doing leadership retreats up north for executive women. I've, I'm on my second. Um, it's still leadership, but it's a women's retreat in Nosara in the rainforest in Costa Rica. Oh, that uh, looks fantastic. It, it is. I mean, private. Sh- it's just beautiful. But it is, it is for women to put themselves first. And I often say, if I looked back at the number of trips I either paid for or my family paid for for my families who went to Disney World and Paris and Greek and all all these different places. But when was the last time I actually spent money on myself to learn to put myself first so that I could show up for other people more meaningfully and have a bigger impact? So that's what I'm doing with Unlocking Her. So it's a full circle, but also always kind of there. I love it. Yeah. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you mm. about any of the above, mm. and you should be so lucky to be able to connect <laughs> with Lorianne, um, where can they find you? So you can find me on LinkedIn under Lorianne Glassford. That's probably the easiest. Um, I'm at theglassfordgroup.com. 
or I'm at unlockingher.ca. Okay. So, or on Instagram. On Instagram, all of the above I have almost. I don't know. I have like six or seven Instagram <laughs> accounts, but yes, <laughs> search for me there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for it's joining me today. Pleasure. Oh, it's so good. We could so literally excited. be here today. Yeah, like, I'm like I have 18 three. more questions, but yes, we'll have you back <laughs> it's again. Amazing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's great. Thank you.